Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I am your host, Mark Shapiro, and I am delighted to have Dr. Sasha Shulkut as my guest today. Sasha is a professor of anesthesiology. She is the founder of Brave Enough, and she is here to discuss her wonderful new book called Between Grit and Grace. The book's been out for a couple of weeks. We actually recorded this episode several weeks ago when life was totally different. Uh, But it's important to get this episode out. The commitment that this show makes, the commitment that for me feels really meaningful with Explore the Space podcast is that we are always looking to try to get better. We're always looking to try to improve. We're looking for levers to pull from experts. And now is no different. And to have this conversation come forward in the place that we're in now feels right. And I'm really excited about it. I think you're going to absolutely love it. She is just so dynamic and so passionate and so skilled. The book that she's created is really important and wonderful. And I think that there is much in here that will apply and resonate and feel just sticky and feel good regardless of what else is happening around us. I do also want to note though, we do talk about the book and we talk about Sasha's writing. What we didn't talk about because she hadn't written it yet is an incredible essay that she released last week around the grit and grace required of women in healthcare. And it was a superb essay she released that I actually found it on Twitter. And there's a link to it in the show notes. And I would really encourage everyone to read it. I just thought it was absolutely superb. It really, really resonated with me. I really enjoyed it. And, well, we'll just have to have her come back on the show so we can talk about that one as well. Definitely check out Explore the Space podcast wherever you like to download your shows. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, we're on all of them. Definitely come and find me on social media at ETS Show. For Twitter and at Explore the Space Show for Instagram, you can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com as well. Please do share the show with your friends and your colleagues. And just know that word of mouth is just so helpful, so important, and so appreciated if you're able to share the show. And obviously, if you're able to subscribe and leave us a rating and review wherever you download your shows, that's appreciated as well. I'll be honest, I'm trying to find the right balance of podcast content that stays faithful to kind of my vision of Explore the Space podcast and what I know people like about the show and why they come back to it, and also being cognizant of what's happening around us with the COVID-19 pandemic. There is space for all of this, and I think Explore the Space podcast has a role to play in all of us learning and understanding how COVID-19 affects every aspect of healthcare, every aspect of life, and I'm proud to do that. And I also want to make sure that there is room for episodes that aren't totally centered on that and allow us to get outside of that part of life just for a few minutes and find some refreshment, find some energy, find some stimulation so that we can go back into the fray better, stronger, more motivated, more focused, maybe a little bit more relaxed, whatever the case. I do think there's space for that. I'm interested to hear what your perspectives are on that too. If you want to give me feedback via email, I would appreciate it. If you want to send me messages on social media, Twitter or Instagram, I would really appreciate that. For me, this feels right, but I want to make sure we're doing this in the right way for everyone who's enjoying the show as well. That said, you are absolutely going to enjoy listening to Dr. Shulkut. She is just fantastic. This episode is wonderful. 
So without further ado, Dr. Sasha Shulkat. Sasha, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so honored to be here. I'm a huge fan of the show. I love the diversity of the people you bring on and just the wealth of knowledge that gets me thinking outside of my normal everyday silo. So thank you for having me on. When I saw the name, so we're, you're, you're here because you do lots of different things. You're what I like to think of as someone who is pluripotent, but I do want to start in the middle. And when I say that, I want to start with what you have just put into the world. I get the opportunity to, and I know you do too, to speak with people who have written a book or have created something and put it out in the world. And sometimes I like to move towards it slowly, come in from the periphery, come in from the back. In this case, I want to start with your book, Between Grit and Grace. Here's why. I have been wordsmithing the title as since I got the book in the mail. Can we start just with the title? <laughs> yes. So I think for those of people that don't know me, um, they may be surprised to know that I you know, have struggled uh, for a good decade of my life in my career with embracing who I am as as Sasha Shilkut. And I think people know me on social media and they have an idea of the narrative. But the truth is that for a decade of a, a good decade or more of my career, I really struggled with being gritty at times and then also at the same time extending grace. And to me, I think we're all on that spectrum, whether you're a man or, or a woman, you you really honestly at times need to be gritty. You need to, what I phrased in the book, come out of the dugout. And then there's also times where you need to also in our workplaces really extend grace. And so many times as a woman in medicine, I felt like I could either, I had to either be one or the other. And if I was too gritty, if I was too assertive, I would face backlash. But if I also, you know, wept with a patient's family before taking them to the OR, knowing I may be the last person they speak to, I was seen as weak. And so I realized that there's power when we embrace both of those attributes. And for me, that's, that's the authentic Sasha. I know it was all very intentional, but I want to tease out two words in that four word title. First, you used between. You didn't use beyond or something like that. You kept us in the present tense. You put us in the middle of attention. And I really liked that. I thought that was really smart. It didn't feel like do it differently. It was do what you're doing now and embrace it. And I really liked that. And then the same thing with using the word and. You didn't put them in juxtaposition, which I love. I love that technique. I love that writing conceit of saying it's here and it's here and let's compare and contrast and brings them together. So you're putting us in the present tense and you're bringing us together. I thought it was brilliant. Well, it, how many times have you thought of a person maybe that you work with that is a really, you know, gritty person. If you had to describe that, that individual, uh, maybe they're a surgeon and everyone has this idea of them. And then you meet them at your child's ba a basketball game, or you see them out in the community and you're like, wow, that guy's really cool, actually. And I think it's because we tend to put one another in these silos of like, well, this person's approachable, or this person's not approachable, or this person's really strong. This person's more collaborative. But the truth is that 
we as individuals, there's so much diversity in our personalities. And when we allow people, when we allow ourselves, actually, when we start with ourselves and we allow ourselves to be things that we see in our, that society says are vastly opposite, um, like the, the surgeon who, you know, can, can take charge of a situation, the trauma surgeon that can like run a code, but also can hold the hand of someone and say, look, we just lost your, your daughter or your son. When we start to see people as more than one dimensional, we ourselves allow ourselves to be more than one dimensional. And we just, we really honestly see people for more than the label that we put on them. When you put yourself in that space of kind of seeing past that label, I can imagine, especially writing this book as a physician, I'm not going to put myself forward as knowing this for sure. I, I don't know that there are many books like this within healthcare. And I'm, I would go so far as to say, I don't know that there are many books like this, period. I would imagine <laughs> if that's true, that you're, you're probably going to put yourself in the face of kind of a tidal wave of feedback. But let's, to, let's do this in two parts. When you put the book forward, did you feel like you were planting a flag or did you feel like there were other, other, there was other content similar to what you had done in some way? Well, certainly there's, there's some elements of the book that share content with, you know, very uh, popular and very strong and, and awesome books out there, you know, things like Grit or Lean In um, or, you know, How to Get the Corner Office. These are types of books that when I was pitching the book, all of the publishers would send to me and say, well, we want you to write it like right. you, you need to pick. <laughs> You need to pick one or the other. Like yeah. you can't say you can be both of these things because it's just yeah, not totally. And that's what I liked about it though, because as I read it, I'm like, it's not those books. It's not. No, it's not. It's, that, not, it's not that. It's not that, and it's it's really. I wanted people to see that it to take a breath, to take a collective breath, and say it's okay to be who you are in that margin and that space between. Right now, it's it's really okay to be that person. Because when I went into medicine, which I is a, is a, the field that you and I share, I looked around the room and I was like, okay, I want to be a leader. I aspire to be a leader. I aspire to be the person that people come to, um, to solve problems. I, I like being in those spaces. So when I looked around, I saw my male mentors who were wonderful mentors to me. And I was like, I got to be like that guy. I got to be like that guy. I got to be like him. And it pushed me into a, a path, which was totally my own choice to leave out a lot of who I am that I did not see them being, because I thought that was the path to success. And the truth is that you and I both do a lot of, of, of advocacy for diversity work. And part of that is not just the color of our skin or not just how we identify as gender, but it's actually our personalities and, and our attributes and our core values. And I think that when I realized, why am I struggling so much every day? Why do I show up at work and I struggle to be the leader that I know I can be? It was because I was trying to be someone else. I was not being Sasha. So here's the other part that I really liked about the book and what you just described. What you just described in terms of your leadership arc, 
I, as a white male, had the exact same experience where I felt like I had to mimic a leadership style that I was seeing in healthcare that did not actually resonate for who I was as a person. And as I got more experienced over time and learned from lots of people who are way smarter and more experienced than I am, I realized, similar to what you're realizing, we're not learning. When you're doing that, you're not learning from mentors. You're learning from a long history that mm-hmm. has a lot of problems and has a lot of flaws and has not been modified or changed or adaptive in any way and therefore is not the right model to mimic. And it, mim- leadership is not mimicry. Leadership is mm-hmm. personal development based on a skill set that you work hard to curate. And mm-hmm. so it's not, that's why I think that what was exciting about the book is there's a lot of space for men to read it as well and be like, boy, that makes a lot of sense. That yes. part specifically made a great deal of sense to me that this idea that you have to subsume your character to live up to a, a standard that actually doesn't exist in reality. We've just all been mimicking it for now multiple generations in medicine specifically. We don't have to do that. And, and moreover, to, to do the things we want to do, and I feel like I'm almost parroting your book when I say this, to do the things that we want to do, right? Be a good physician, be a, be empathetic, you know, be a, be a leader, be on top of our game clinically, but also be healthy and be good parents and friends and colleagues and partners. We need to allow that authenticity. We need to allow that skill set to be what's right out at the apex. Yes. I And I'm, I'm so appreciative that you are speaking about it from the male perspective and your and your, you know, struggle to identify as a leader and embrace your own leadership. I gave the book to my father as the first person I had read the book. Oh, and, yes. my, and my dad is an engineer. He's very, he's just brilliant. Um, very smart, always very successful career as an engineer for years and years and several patents, things like that. And I thought, well, I'm going to give it to the biggest critic because my dad <laughs> is like, you know, no, nobody's a victim, get out there and work hard, you know, typical Midwestern, you know, like came from nothing, um, was the only child of seven to graduate from high school, came from severe poverty and built himself, you know, into a, a, someone with a career. And I gave it to him and I thought, I'm just going to have him read this because he's going to give it to me straight. And he read it and he said, I learned so much about myself in this book. And I was wow. so shocked. I said, really? And he said, I did not even know that there was such a thing called imposter syndrome. And (laughs) he's like, he's like, I had that all my life. And I said, you had imposter syndrome. Like when I, the vision I have of you in your career is, you know, someone who's like, you know, take charge, you know, don't care what the critics think. And he's like, Oh my gosh, Sasha, every time I stood up at a board meeting or meeting or conference, I would think they're going to know, they're going to know that I came from nothing. Like I don't deserve to be here. The, the, the cat's going to be out of the bag and like everyone's going to know that I'm just this really poor kid who, you know, somehow found myself on this path to success. And and he's like, I identified with all of those things that you wrote about. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I did not expect that at all. So wow. Thing that in there for men. That must have been gratifying for you, though. What adjective would you associate with that? How did that? How did you feel when your father shared that with you after having read your book? I was. Honestly, I was very, very speechless for a moment. It was a special moment. It was probably one of the top 10 memories I'll have of myself and my father because um, he's, he's hard. He's hardcore. You know, he probably made me who I am and I'm so grateful for it. I mean, he instilled in me the work ethic that I have and, and I did not expect that at all. I thought he was going to say, 
okay, I like this part. It was well-written or, you know, this was a little too she-she for me or something, but he was like, <laughs> this is what I learned from your book. And it wow. was amazing. It, it's, it does definitely take you on a journey. One of the things that I thought as I was reading it though, too, this is more of a kind of a technical writing question. I moved through the book fairly quickly. It does, it, it, you keep going, at least for me, that was my sort of journey with it. Cause I wanted to kind of, I wanted to get the strategic view before I did kind of the deep dives and you position it nicely so that you can along the way, there's workshops and questions and things like that for people to ask themselves and to work on with others. Moving through it in that way, though, my impression was, I'll just, I want to reflect this back at you is that the book came out of your pen fast, that it was (laughs) like, once you unlocked, I'm going to F and do this, that it came in a rush. That was my impression, and I want to reflect that back at you. Well, you'll find this funny because of the world that we swim in. But when they said, okay, write the book, I was like, okay, do I write like the first chapter and send it to you? And then you edit it and send it back to me. And they're like, no, that's not how it works. (laughs) I was like, really? Like, I just really anticipated that I didn't want to write, you know, 70,000 words and have it be all the wrong direction. And they're like, no, this is your book. This is from your heart. This is from your experiences which is so opposite of my academic writing where you can't even put like one word in there that is an opinion or may not be true or someone can't source it back to like 10,000 references. Hmm. So um, it was a very emotional journey for me actually, which I did not expect because the more I started writing, you're absolutely correct. The words came out of me and, and specifically chapter eight, where I talk about a failure of, in my life in a, a failure that I had not shared with very many people. Um, I, that, that chapter was so therapeutic for me, but I put it in and then I took it out and I put it in and then I took it out. Cause I was like, I don't know, this is so revealing and vulnerable for me. And how is this going to mark the rest of my career and how people see me? But you're, you're absolutely correct in your assessment once the door and the permission was given, it, it came out pretty quick. So then when that happens and you're done, you then, you, you then get to go out and meet the public. And I know you've been working really hard on that and you've shared that adventure on social media. The one that stuck out the most for me is there was a picture of you at a book signing and you were talking with someone who was reading the book and signing. The line was long. <laughs> what's it been like kind of getting out and being, being the, being the face of it, being, being Sasha, who's written this book that is now in the world. What's that experience like? You know, I'm the two words that I can really say at this point, I've just finished a month long tour, so to speak. Um, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm so grateful for the way that people have shown up for this book and, The other thing is I'm overwhelmed because the reason the line was so long is not because there were thousands of people there, but because every woman that stopped shared a story. And I'm really processing all those stories. It didn't matter where I was, even though I did some media. And if I went backstage, the makeup artists pulled me aside and shared stories with me of feeling less than as a woman in media or the bias or the discrimination or the harassment that they've faced, um, the 
the the craft service people even, you know, were listening in on the interviews and saying like, you know, sharing with me women that I've met at the conferences just lined up ready to, to, to speak to me. And they all have a story. And the fact that this book opened up communication for them to share that story with me, I feel like I wasn't on a book tour. I was on a listening campaign and I'm still processing what that means to be quite honest. I don't know what that responsibility of, of, Hold, the holder of the stories means I'm still trying to figure that out to be quite honest. When you hear all of those stories, the tone of your voice that you're using just now, it makes me feel like the vast majority, if not all of those stories are not positive. Does it get, does it change your societal view? Does it make you feel differently about where we are in terms of perceptions of progress or movement? Does it, or, or does it kind of still keep you in the same space? I would say it definitely has changed my perception of where we are in our world today. Um, I think that I know, I know that there's so many voices out there for change. And it's so important that we have people who are pointing out bias and harassment and gender discrimination and overall culture issues that need change. I am one voice of, of many. And I think that it's changed me in that I didn't realize the heaviness that people who are marginalized show up every day and carry this weight that they carry. I'm just starting to see it. And it's opening my eyes to to different ways of, and the question that I keep playing in my mind is where does Sasha's voice fit in? Where does my platform fit in? What can I do to shed awareness, but also at the same time, bring encouragement because I know for myself, when I've been in those places that I talk about in the book, I leaned, I needed community to heal. So I want to shed light. I also want to encourage, and I'm I'm asking myself right now, uh, what my what my platform and what my voice should be. So you you've acknowledged then you can get out there and and do the work outside of your regular community. You did a month long book tour. You're active on social media. You're going to keep doing these things. You'll do your media hits, and that's all the right stuff. You also work in a major medical center. You work with you know apex people across all the different aspects of healthcare. These are all people at the top of their game. How comfortable are you talking about your book and promoting your book at work? Oh. <laughs> you are like so good at this. Um, <laughs> that is probably the hardest question that you have posed to me yet. Definitely. Uh, I will say this. The biggest struggle of my career has been people that people accepting that two things can be true at once around me in my day-to-day -day culture. I'm going to be really honest about that. I have a lot of people that support me in my institution, in my work environment, but it's really hard for people to accept that two things can be true at once. It's even hard for me to accept that. Meaning Sasha Shilkut can be a cardiologist or cardiac anesthesiologist by day and be in the operating room 
and do like I did yesterday, which was extremely difficult, heart failure, complicated cases, and put on the green scrubs and do 24 hours of call. She can also be a advocate for women in medicine and an advocate for women in healthcare and a leader and a person who blogs and a person who has a podcast. And it doesn't mean that I'm any less of a cardiac anesthesiologist. And it doesn't mean that I don't care about the environment and the culture work in my own institution. And I think that's really hard for people. When we accept roles like yourself, I'm sure, you are a leader in your healthcare system. You train leaders. You look for leadership. You recruit leaders. You also interview amazing people on a podcast that's outside of medicine. Both of those things are true and they can be true at once. And you're really good at both of them. And I think I, I struggle with this. I still struggle with this. I can tell you, I went to back to work on Monday after being gone for pretty much a month and it was awkward. There were awkward, awkward moments because some of people were like, wow, we saw you on the news. We saw you on television. We saw you here. We're so proud of you. Other people didn't know how to approach me. And, and it hurt, to be honest. And um, other people are, I don't know if it comes from fear, jealousy. I just know that I have to, the more I accept myself, the more I, I don't uh, care about the negativity. And I just cling to the supporters. I literally cling to the support because I know that I'm being true to myself. It's very helpful for me on a personal level to hear you say that. And here's why I have my own imposter syndrome manifests with me talking about explore the space in the professional sphere. Very comfortable talking about it with my friends and my family and on social media and getting out and promoting it and doing live shows, all of that stuff. Love it. Can't get enough. It's the best at work. Since I started this in May of 2015, I don't talk about it. And I've rationalized it for lots of different reasons, but I've realized that it's what you just described, that I have always felt like these two things cannot be true. And it goes, it goes a long way back. And, and here's my little, here's kind of my therapeutic moment. Like I remember having had nurses and teammates and things like that going back years saying, you know, Mark, Dr. Shapiro, whatever. I didn't realize you were funny and thinking <laughs> about like, what am I putting forward where people mm -hmm. like, I'm not a stand up comic, but I'm a good hang, right? Um, and that that's not being reflected in how I am carrying myself professionally, but also knowing that I do have, there, there is a certain demeanor that I do want to carry because I may end up in a meeting space with somebody, or I may end up in a difficult conversation with somebody and there needs to be a standard that's maintained. And that is important to me, but talking about the podcast, if someone, if someone asks me about it, cause they heard about it from someone else, I get so uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's something I, that I have to work on because I'm also super proud of it. I love it. But right. if somebody at work says, hey, Mark, I heard you have a podcast. What's the deal? Oh, all the mental agility and yes. dynamism and, and wordsmithing gone, frozen. <laughs> I know. It's, oh my gosh. I'm so, I'm so like, I didn't think we were going to talk about this, but I'm so empowered and encouraged to hear you say that because I'm the same way. I don't talk about brave enough in my workspace at all, unless someone brings it up. And then when which they is do, bananas, I like, which is bonkers. I know. I know. <laughs> and, and it's crazy because I've actually been, I'll never forget a couple years ago, I was in a, in a room with leadership of my institution and someone said, 
can we talk about the elephant in the room? And I was like, oh, what's the elephant in the room? And they're like, can we talk about brave enough for a minute? And I was like, oh my gosh, is it really the elephant in the room? And, and I just was like, oh my gosh. And they were actually complimenting me um, about something, but, but it was like, nobody knows really the etiquette and nobody knows if I, and some people are critics. I mean, let's be real. Some people are like, why are you doing that? That's, you know, that's weird. That's not typical what we do in academia. Um, but this is the thing I keep coming back to when I have those uncomfortable moments or when I have disappointments or when I hear criticism, I always think I am here to change, to heal. And that's my calling is to be a healer and a teacher. Those are like my two core values that I've really had to self-identify with. And I do that during the day in my real job. I heal and I teach. And then with Brave Enough, what do I do? I'm healing, hopefully, some people out there that are struggling. And I'm teaching. I'm educating. So both of these jobs can be true because they both reflect my core values. (laughs) I'm just sort of... I'm laughing and chuckling to myself because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, most of the people I work with don't even know that I host a podcast. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Cause your yeah. podcast is like one of the top podcasts in healthcare today. <laughs> it's just, I'm going to have to figure this out because I live and the other part of it too. I live in my hometown. I live where I grew up. There's no place more that I would love to know and be proud of what's happening here than in the area that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I see and, you know, associate with people that I've known for forever and it's where my son's going to grow up and it's where my parents live. And it's just, it's funny. I, it, it, I think that's probably now that we're actually speaking, I think this is probably why I liked your book so much it was probably chapter eight, just like your, 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 your experience that your dad had. I'd be very curious as more and more men read this book. If it's or or just if they get chapter eight, right. that kind of unlocks some of this because I also know it is not just you, it's not just women, it's not just me as the only man who experiences this. This is it's it's so yeah. common. We just haven't acknowledged. I haven't had the right name for it yet. Well, let me tell you, I spoke in December. I had the honor of speaking at the Society of uh, Urological Oncology meeting. And I spoke right after the president of that society and urology is 96% male. So I'm thinking, okay, do they realize like what they're getting? Like, like, cause I do speak on burnout and I yeah. speak on burnout to both, um, you know, genders and all, all the time. And I go to this, but I've never been asked to a meeting that is, you know, 96% male. And so I walk into the room and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, I gotta like, I'm reading the audience. I'm eating dinner before the the keynote to try to like feel the audience. And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to share as I would if I'm speaking to a room full of women, I'm just going to share because that's me. That's, I can't change my authenticity in this moment. So I shared and Mark, I can't even tell you, I, there was probably 40 to 50 men lined up waiting to talk to me. I would say at least half of them had tears. Um, because they identified with chapter eight, the story in that, in that book, they all have their own chapter eight. They all have it. And I think we all do. And I was so touched because I, it changed the way I see men. It literally changed that experience for, was so powerful for me. 
Um, because I just thought, Matt, wow, there are a lot of, there's a lot of injury in medicine that men are processing and we need to come together and we need one another. Like they needed to hear my story. I needed to hear their stories. And after that event, I probably got 20 emails from surgeons who were at that, uh, at that talk who told me their stories and said, thank you for giving me the, I, I shared this story with my wife. I shared this story with my senior partner for the first time because I heard you share your story. I felt empowered to do this. I'm healing from this. And I went, wow, wow. You know, I think there's something there. It's funny because the the workshop that you provide in exercise eight in some, in chapter eight, I mean, is sort of what we're doing now. And mm -hmm it's still very difficult. There's the, the, the one question that you ask, and I'll, I'll kind of put this out there as a little teaser trailer. Cause I do want people, both men and women to take a look at it. The, the book for sure. Chapter eight is there's nothing else like chapter eight that I've experienced. Have you ever been asked to do something you felt undeserving of? Everyone raises their hand. Nobody has the hubris to say everything that I've ever been offered. I felt ready for. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you do, then, then you're, you're not being honest. Right. No one is at that sort of apex level of hubris to say, yeah, good to go. <laughs> you, you get these questions that will make you just crinkle up like, you know, rumpled plastic wrap in a in a in a fist. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because I I wanted the book to be an easy read so that people could read it multiple times and go back and work on it. <laughs> you did not succeed there. It is not an easy read at all. <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's hard work, and it's the right work. It's not easy. It's not. This is not, it is a, this is not beach reading. <laughs> no, and it's funny because a couple trauma surgeons were at the trauma meeting recently, the ski meeting, and they were like, what are, have you done to us? You should have like, put up a premise. <laughs> Totally. One of them was like, I'm sitting at the bar and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, tr I'm drinking a martini at the bar at the trauma meeting after skiing all day. And I'm bawling and hoping that nobody is seeing me. And I was like, I gotta put this thing away. I can't look at it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh. Speaking of drinking, there is one line that I have to pull out and it made me so happy when I read it. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on set on the sentence that's on page 53. I bet if you and I sat down and shared a pot of coffee, which by the way is my favorite thing to do with a new friend, you would share a similar story. Here's why I loved it. And here's why I want to hang out. You went with a full pot, not a cup. <laughs> you went full pot. I'm so in on that. <laughs> I mean, Everyone says, yeah, let's grab a cup of coffee. Not yeah. Sasha pot. Let's do it. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. I, it was funny because I was just in the Cayman Islands with a bunch of like 200 women. I mean, it was amazing. And, um, and they were like, let's get a mojito. Coffee. That's, yeah. That's and I slowly. said, I said, oh no, we need pitchers. Like <laughs> I, I don't drink like one mojito. There's not like, a, we're not going to get one mojito. We're going to get a pitcher of mojitos. And then we're going to sit around and chat and we're going to break this down because that's what I do. I love I love talking and telling stories and listening to stories of others. And I love getting to know people that way. So then that's a tension because as you shared earlier, sometimes when that's been happening, at least with the book tour, you're taking on heavy weight. Yes. If you're, 
how do you reconcile that? Because that's going to be right. We this needs to be sustainable. You're you're in the peak of your career. You've got a long road ahead. You're going to write another book. You're going to do how many speaking engagements and workshops and things. There's got to be a balance there. It yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because um, I am not a psychiatrist, although. Right. Uh, the chairman of our of our psychiatry department always teases me and says I should give you like an adjunct because I'm always going to their stuff and I love it. Um, but I want to be really honest. This is heavy work. And about two years ago, when I started Brave and or when I started really getting the stories and the emails and started doing some classes for women, I I burned. I mean, I just burned up. Like I. I couldn't emotionally handle all of the stories and all of the the stress and the trauma that a lot of women experience. And I recognized really quickly, I went to speak to one of my friends who's a psychiatrist and he said, you need to get, you need someone to coach you and have a therapist, like you need a therapist. So I have a coach who's really my therapist and her, and she and I talk twice a month and Honestly, I, I can't tell you how good that is for me because there are some dark places that this work will take you. And I know that it's, it's overwhelming to me and I don't want it to affect, um, my family. Certainly, you know, if I'm on a call, like today I have three calls with three different women. And if I'm, if I have an hour and a half of, of listening and, and coaching, and then, my son comes home and he's, you know, grumpy or he's in a mood or he needs me or one of my children need me. And I snap at them because of what I've just listened to for an hour and a half. That's not fair. And that's not healthy. So I'm really open about that. I have someone that I speak to twice a month and two 30 minute calls. And it's absolutely necessary for me to stay in the game. It's good that you're doing that protective work because again, this needs to be sustainable. We, as we are finding more and more people like yourself who are doing the right work in our excellent leaders. We're also realizing, at least for me, it helps us to realize just how much of a shortage we have. And so we need you to turn into 10, to turn into a hundred, to turn into a thousand. But in the meantime, we still need you to do the work so that you're able to role model the right strategies to keep this sustainable is, is smart and appreciated. Yes. And I, and I just want to say thank you for what you're doing because it's not easy. It doesn't, it doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think what a lot of people, you know, we have to, we we're so passionate about developing the next generation of leaders and a better culture for those that come behind us, but it doesn't come. It's not free. And most of us that are doing this work are doing it on our own time. And, and we have other jobs and responsibilities and, and it's so important that we validate and affirm one another. And, and so thank you for what you are doing because you are shedding so much light on so many different things and filling up all of us so that we can go out and, and do our work. That's nice of you to say. Thank you. So then we have to give you some space to plug the book. Where do people find it? They're going to want, they're going to want to read it. It's really good and people should read it and it should be used as teaching curricula. It should be used in any different any, any number of different ways, how do people find Between Grit and Grace? Well, thank you. You can find it in any, you know, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target Online, in Target stores, um, 
couple people have tweeted that it's in airports, apparently. Um, so you can find it in a number of ways. And just, you know, I just encourage people to find the time to go through it because I think it's 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 all about self-growth and really want to encourage everybody not just to, you know, buy the book just to just to read it, but to actually do the work in it. That's the key thing. This isn't just bookshelf filler. There, that's it is a commitment. You do need to recognize that it's going to ask you some questions, but they're questions that are worth answering. And I think that's the that's the value, uh, the value proposition in in doing that. Where do people find you if they want to connect with you, follow you, learn more about you? How do they find you? I'm on Twitter um, at at the letter R U Brave Enough, and I'm on Instagram Become Brave Enough and. Facebook, Become Brave Enough. I have a blog at becomebraveenough.com. I I try to be on Twitter. I'm not as good on Twitter as I am on other platforms, to be honest with you, but I try really hard. Twitter and I have a love-hate relationship. Like I love to go in and, and read and get educated, and then I have to leave because sometimes I, I get a little... I don't know. I just get fired up and I'm like, I, I can see it like building myself. So I try to just stay, <laughs> I go into Twitter and I do my thing and then I kind of go out of Twitter for a day or two. But, but I love connect the connections that I've made on social media. I mean, I love Twitter for that reason. I've met you, I've met so many amazing people. And so, you know, I love hearing from people, drop me an email, drop me a DM, um, share your story with me. I'm, I love it. We'll have links to all of that in our show notes as well. This was such a treat. I'm so happy you wrote the book. I'm so pleased that we were finally able to connect. It was gratifying and fun and wonderful to speak with you. This was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.